simple thing to be praying about. What I want to do this morning is continue our study of, of Hebrews chapter 11. I got a message that God laid on my heart. Do you want two options here? Tell me what you want. On the one hand, I could give you A, an ear-tickling little nice sweet sermonette, or B, I could give you the truth. What do you want? Yeah. All right. Oh, I know you'd say that. Good. Okay, take off your gloves because th this is, uh, we're going to be, we're going to let this text confront us. I'm letting the text confront me. Just know that. I won't say anything that I don't say to myself. That's my covenant with you. We're going to be studying, uh, continuing our study of Hebrews 11. So far we've seen this. We've looked at the nature of faith. And from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, spent four weeks on the nature of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, what you have faith in is what is not just a theoretical belief, but what is real to you on the inside. What do you picture? What do you see? What do you hear? Um, what are you hoping for? What are you expecting? What, what are the movies that are running in your head? Faith anticipates the future, not theoretically, but you think about it. It's on the inside of your skin. That's what faith is about. It's the substance of things that you hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And then we spent two weeks talking about the heart of faith. The heart of faith as evidenced by Moses. And what we saw there was this. Moses desired God above everything else. He desired God no matter what. He desired God at all costs. He didn't follow God for the goodies. He didn't follow God for the milk and the honey. He didn't follow God for the promised land. He didn't follow God for the victory over the Canaanites. He followed God because God is God. And the heart of faith is one that says, Jesus, I love you because you're Jesus. I love you at all costs. I love you. I'm thankful for the blessings, but I don't love you because of the blessings. I'll love you no matter what, at all costs, any price, I'm there because you are God. And I'm your, ch I'm your child. That's the heart of faith. What I want to do now is turn to a two or three week study on the life of faith. What does this all look like when it's incarnated? And to begin this, I want to take a look at Noah, one of the heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you're there, turn to verse 7. I need my water. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Thank you. All right. Which says this. I'm going to read a couple passages here. They're fairly sobering, so get ready. By faith Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. That's Noah. By faith he built the ark. If you have your Bibles and you can find the place quickly because I don't want to spend too much time here, but turn to Matthew 24. Got it? Good. It says this. A couple other words about Noah and the faith that Noah had. It says this in verse 36 of chapter 24. But about that day, he's talking about the second coming here. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Listen to this. For as the days of Noah were, so will, it, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, having a good time, marrying and giving in marriage. That just is an idiomatic way of saying life was going on as normal. I've heard sermons about, you know, they were eating, they are drinking, and they were marrying. Like, that was bad. No, this is what people normally do. Uh, they eat and they drink and they get married. Um, that's not bad. But see, that was their total life. They were just going about business as usual. So as in the days of Noah, they're going about business as unusual until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Told you it was going to be sobering. And then, 2 Peter, chapter 3. This is the verse that really hits, which is a good thing if hitting is what we need. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes need to be slapped up alongside the face. You see, we here at Woodland Hills, you know, we want to worship God passionately with all that we are. We, we love to have fun. We love just to be ourselves. We love to be real. We also love the Word of God. And the Word of God sometimes gives us stuff to get all, you know, excited about, and it's warm and fuzzy, and we love that. I think it's always encouraging, but sometimes the Word of God confronts me. And I've always told you that my business is to bring you in on my misery. So if God's confronting me through the Word, I owe it to you to bring you in on my being confronted. Here's what 2 Peter says. This is now, beloved, the second letter I've written to you, and in them I'm trying. Here's what Peter's trying to do. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to arouse your sincere intention. I'm trying to arouse the passion in your life by reminding you that you must remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through his apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffers scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they had from the beginning of creation. As things were, so they are, so they shall always be. That's what they're saying. They deliberately ignore this fact, that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of the water, and by means of the water, through which the world at that time was deluged with water, and it perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, he goes on to say, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. These people are getting discouraged, saying, come on, Lord, come back, come back, come back. That ought to be the heartbeat of every Christian. Lord, we're tired of the world as it is right now. Come on back, Lord. And these people are getting discouraged. So he says, look, your timetable is not God's timetable. The Lord is not slow in his promise, as some think about slow, slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants every person on this planet to be saved, to come to a saving knowledge of him. Last night I was walking around the fair, and every person, I just did this for a while, I'd look at the people around me, and i just say, you know, think to myself, God loves them, God loves them, God wants them saved. God wants them saved. And it really kind of does something to your heart when all these people cram together and all those smells cram together. Uh, and, and, and you just start, like, praying for the people. I, I met a person from Woodland Hills Church last night. One of our ushers, he's out there, and I said, hey, you know, are you going on the rides? He goes, no, I'm just walking around praying for people. Uh, that's good ministry, folks. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is in it, that is done on it, will be disclosed. Or the word can be translated dissolved. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, here's the punchline, how ought we then to live? If this is true, what impact should that have on our, on our, on our life? Leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening. See, you wait, but there's something you're doing, you hasten the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will, will melt with fire. Sobering, let's pray. Father, 
uh, God, I, I just know that um, I'm accountable to you for what I say, not to the people or to anyone else, not to popularity polls. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to say this straight as you have said it to me. Help me share my heart, Lord God, uh, with the people, Lord God. And we're praying that you would, by the power of your spirit, land on it, infuse it, inspire it, and above all else, Lord, make it a kingdom-building word, Lord. God, that's not about the way I put the words together or what comes out of my mouth. It's, Lord, it's about what you do with whatever comes out of my mouth. So, Father, make it your word. Make it uh, anointed, Lord God. Help me to speak as the oracles of God that your people may grow to be the people that you've called us to be, we pray in your name. And all God's people said, amen. You know the story of Noah. I hope you know the story of Noah. I hope you know the story of Noah from reading the Bible, not from NBC. Um, <laughs> did some of you see that atrocious, uh, poor, ridiculous, uh, Hollywood. Uh, that was pretty bad. A couple of months ago, they had a movie, a two-part movie on Noah, and it was just abysmal. Noah, it looked like he was in the latter stages of Alzheimer's. Uh, he, 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 they reversed, I think the people who put it together had Alzheimer's. They, they, put, they, they uh, reversed the order of Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood. Did you notice that? Lot was a contemporary of Noah. It was all screwed up. Bad, bad, bad. The truth of the matter is, if you want to know the facts, you've got to go to the Word. And the Word says... This, that God, when he created the world, had a goal in mind. The goal was to have a, a world populated by people who the way they related to him and the way they related to each other and the way they related to creation reflected his own character. In other words, he wants to replicate his, his, his love on the earth. He wants that This is what's called the kingdom of God. He wants to build his kingdom on the earth. That's his goal. A creation of, of beings who love each other the way God is love, who love God the way God is love, and who, who reign over the earth. Uh, as God wants to reign. By the time we get to Noah, this project had become thoroughly uh, screwed up because God made us free agents. And uh, things had gotten so bad. Sin had, gotten, had, had made such deep inroads into the human consciousness. The Bible says in Genesis 6 that evil was on the imagination of humans continually. And God saw that this project, uh, his hope of having, of building his kingdom with this bunch of human beings was not going to happen. So God said, in fact, God said, I regret, I regret making these, these humans. I've got to start over again. And so he warned Noah about a coming judgment. There's a pattern you find throughout the Bible where God, he, he puts up with things for a while. He, uh, he, uh, he's patient, not willing for any to perish. Bible says in, in Genesis 6 again that God, he told Noah, Noah, my, my spirit will not always struggle or strive with human beings. Apparently God's spirit was all the while, as they got more and more wicked, God was struggling and striving with them, saying, don't go this route, don't go this route, trying to turn them around, but they would not be turned. And there came a time where, where God told Noah, Noah, 120 more years of this and I'm done. So I, I'm going to start over again, I'm going to make a new creation starting with you. And that's what the whole thing about building the ark is about. Noah, for 120 years, preached the gospel to try to get other people to come into the ark and built that ark. God's pattern you find throughout scripture is this. He's patient. He works with, uh, with, with people, with his creation. There comes a time, however, when the patience is over and God brings judgment. He prunes away everything that's inconsistent with his will and his character. He preserves a remnant and he starts over again. It's a pattern that I think runs throughout the whole word. On my reading, most people don't agree with this, but on my reading, uh, this started even before the creation of this world. Uh, where, and I talk about that in God at War, um, 
where I, I think this word, there was a previous judgment of a previous world, and this world is built on the residue of that. Don't worry about that. He's, he, he, the same pattern is happening here with Noah, though. God's going to, he's patient, he brings judgment, um, he prunes away whatever's inconsistent with, with his character, and he builds it over again. He almost did that with Israel in Exodus 33. He almost was going to prune away all of Israel and start over again with Moses. And according to the Bible, he's going to do this one final time. He's patient right now. He's working with people right now. But there comes a time when he says, uh, enough is enough. There'll be a time of pruning where he's going to take away from this world everything that is inconsistent with his will and character. And he's going to now have his kingdom established on this earth. Noah's job was to, was to build the one thing that would survive the judgment and provide the foundation for the new creation that God was going to bring about. And there's two lessons about faith that we need to hear from, from Noah. As we look at the life of Noah, what does faith look like when it's incarnated? Well, here's what it looks like. Number one, faith expects the unexpected. Faith on the basis and the authority of the Word of God expects the unexpected. The natural inclination, the natural mind, the natural man says what they said in Noah's day. You read about it in 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. It says this, things have always been the way they are now and they always will be that way. As it has been, so it is, so it shall be. Things are normal, things are just uh, you know, going on as, as uh, they ought to go. What happens is this, the natural mind, the natural man takes your own very, very limited experience and you extrapolate out of that and you assume that as you experience it in your short lifetime, that's the way it's always been. It makes us feel secure. Things are stable now. They've always been stable. They always will be stable. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, I don't see miracles happening now, so miracles have never happened. Miracles never shall happen. You decide, in a way, it's, it's, a, it's a way of making your own mind Lord of all creation because you're defining all of creation on the basis of your own limited experience. This is something of what's going on down in Kansas, uh, state, down in Kansas right now with this whole uh, debate in the public school system between uh, special creation and evolution. And the special creationists just want to be able to say, you know, there's another opinion out there. And apparently there's a lot of people who say, no, we don't want any other opinions. We have a monopoly on the truth. We only want our side to be told. And we're going to do that in the name of liberal arts, in the name of openness, in the name of tolerance, teaching kids how to be critical thinkers. Yes, indeed. And, and what's going on there is this. There's two, two models. One is called uniformitarianism. It's the one that most evolutionists work with, and it says this, that uh, the diversity of all, of all the species we have on the planet right now is the result of nothing more than time and chance. The laws of physics, as they're operating right now, are the same laws that operated back then, the same laws that will always operate, and by time and chance and some good luck and a mutation here and there, we have evolved to be what we are right now. The other school of thought, and no amens on that one, what's the problem here? The other school of thought... The other school of thought says, no, there is a God, and God is bigger than the laws, and he can supervene on those laws uh, and do a special act if he wants to. And one of the special acts that he did was creating uh, species, uh, creating human beings in his image. Okay, but the, the, what's at stake there is this uniformitarian thinking versus uh, a, a thinking that's open to the possibility of God doing new, new things. The natural mind, the natural man is inclined towards that. For security, we like it. For control, we like it. Life, everything's business as usual. Life is ordinary. Life's going along. That's how it was in the days of Noah. And that's why when you have that kind of a mindset, 
somebody starts building a giant barge in the middle of nowhere, they look really weird. Monumentally strange. What are you doing, Noah? And the Bible says that there were scoffers at that time because they assumed that as it has been, it's so it always shall be. And here's this guy who's telling them it's going to start raining really, really, really hard. And all the animals, a pair of all the animals are going to come into this ark. No one's ever seen that before. In fact, no one had ever seen rain before, uh, according to the word. And it didn't rain in those days until this. And then it really did rain. And it's, Noah's saying new stuff. And the natural mind doesn't want it to do new stuff. It wants to feel secure with the old stuff. You see, the Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. This morning I want to tell you, I don't know if this is old news for you or new news to you, good news for you or bad news to you, but here's the truth news. And the truth news is this. Jesus Christ is coming back and it's going to look really, really different. He's coming back and it's going to look really, really different. God is patient right now. He's striving with all human beings right now to bring them into alignment with his will. But the Bible tells us that, there's a, that there's a, this doesn't go on forever like this. This isn't the creation that God intended the creation to be. God is all good, God is all holy, God is all loving, but in this creation, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of unlovingness, there's a lot of evil that's running rampant, and God tolerates that for a season, but there comes a time when he says, no, now it's done, I'm going to build my, my kingdom. God's kingdom is coming, praise God. And when his kingdom comes, all that God ever desired the world to be, his goal for humanity, his goal to replicate his love in our midst, then, praise God, and this is the good news to the believer, then it will be established, hallelujah, God will reign on the earth, love will reign on the earth, peace will reign on the earth, joy will reign on the earth. For that to happen, however, that's the good news. If you're a believer, that's good news. The bad news, if you're not a believer, is that to establish that kingdom, like to make a person healthy, you got to take out the cancer. And to wash him, you got to wash off the mud. And to make humanity what God wants humanity to be, you got to take out the cancer of humanity. All that is inconsistent with God's character, all the sin, all that is at odds with God, is going to be pruned away. According to the word, it's going to be pruned away by the fire of God's judgment, the fire of his righteousness. It's a purging fire which burns up everything that is inconsistent with him. The faith perspective. And see, and the other thing is this. When it happens, it happens suddenly. In fact, we even know just from science that the earth isn't going to die a slow death. It's not going to kind of like just sort of peter out. There'll come a time, we're told, that the earth is going to run out of hydrogen, I think it is, and, and it's going to turn into a supernova, and it's going to just get really big and hot, and it's going to swallow up the earth. So even the scientists, even the atheistic scientists, should be saying amen to Second Peter when it says the earth will be destroyed by fire. Because that's what they're all saying. But for some reason they don't say amen. I don't know the problem is. It comes to a sudden end, and when it happens, it happens suddenly. The Bible says like a thief in the night. You see, some of you are maybe saying, well, wait a minute, why, why is he using scare tactics on us here? You know, is he, he's using scare tactics. I'm not using scare tactics. Look at there's a big outbreak of burglaries in Minneapolis recently. Did you read about that? Nine houses were burglarized. If I, would, if I somehow was told what, what the next house was going to be, and I went knocking on the door and I said, you know what, I've got good inside information that your house is going to be burglarized tonight, like a thief in the night, it's going to happen to you. Would they say, oh, they say, oh, you're using scare tactics on me? They'd go, no, thank you so much, bottle of water. Thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is an act of love. This is an act of grace. Why, this love you. You see, or it, the Bible says in 2 Timothy that sudden destruction will come upon them. If you could have gone to Turkey uh, three weeks ago and had some kind of knowledge that this was coming and say, you know what, an earthquake is coming. It's going to happen fast. It's going to be sudden. Would they say, oh, how mean of you. You're making me feel uncomfortable this Sunday morning. I don't think I like you very much. You're sliding on my opinion poll. Or would they say, thank you so much. 
See, I'm loving on you right now. This is grace. This is gospel. This is good news if you're willing to respond to it. When it happens, amen. God's kingdom is going to be set up, and when it's set up, it's going to be fast, and it's good news that are, that are, to all who are consistent with God, who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and frankly, it's very, very bad news to all who don't. This morning, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been sitting on the fence too long. i got a feeling in my gut that there are people here, there's at least one person here, who, who has been sitting on the fence. You're, you're playing a little bit of church here and there, and you do a little bit of religion maybe here and there, but you've never sold out, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe there's a hundred people here like that. And the question God would ask you is, how long are you going to goof around? How much time do you think you have? You have no idea. And I'm not doing a scare tactic here, thing here. I'm just telling you the truth. If this is true, how ought we to live? The Bible asks that question. The first answer is, you ought to get saved. Come into the ark. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Develop a relationship with him. Be moving towards him. There's a second thing. This brings us to the second lesson I think we have to learn from Noah. How then ought we ought to live? Let's look at Noah. Noah not only expected the rain, but he started to build the ark. He did something. This is part of faith. Noah, it says, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith. In other words, it was his faith that motivated him to start cutting down the trees and hauling the wood and nailing the nails and start building that ark. By faith, he was willing to withstand the, the, te- the, the mentality of the natural mind in his culture. He was willing to be ridiculed and scoffed at. By faith, he built the ark. His faith did something. It moved him in a countercultural direction to make sacrifices in obedience to God. What would you have thought of Noah? If you know, the Lord shows up and says, Noah, you know, I'm, I'm warning you, there's a flood coming. I'm going to start over again, and you're my main man. I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, preserve some of the creation through judgment by you. I want you to build an ark. And here's Noah, and Noah says, oh, yes, God, I believe every word that you say. Noah's effeminate. I believe all the words that you say. (laughs) Yes, Lord. And what would you think? Maybe I'm watching too much NBC. I don't know. But Noah did nothing. Yeah, yes, Lord, I believe you. And so God shows up again, a little bit irate this time, says, Noah, I'm telling you, a flood is coming, and I want you to build the ark. And Noah says, oh, I'll wait, I'll wait. And he doesn't do anything. I believe you, Lord, but he doesn't. At some point, wouldn't you begin to get the strong impression that Noah doesn't really believe God, or doesn't have faith in what God is doing? Because see, if he really did believe it, he began to act on it. Faith, by its its definition, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By definition, faith issues forth in behavior. The behavior doesn't constitute the faith, but where there is the faith, there will be the behavior. Faith is something that can be seen. Jesus, at one point in Mark chapter 2, I don't know if you've ever read the story, there's a bunch of guys who had a friend who was crippled, they couldn't get into this house where Jesus was preaching because it was too crowded. So they crawled up on top of the house and they cut a big hole, I mean, they went through a lot of trouble. They cut a big hole in in his housetop to lower their friend through the ceiling so they could come in contact with Jesus and so Jesus would heal him. And as they were lowering the man, the Bible says in Mark 2 that Jesus saw their faith, saw their faith. We sometimes in America here like to think of faith as this little private thing. You know, it's like I have my personal little faith. But see, faith where it's real, where it's vibrant, where it's genuine, is something you can see. It's there. It's evidence in a person. It makes a difference in what they do. It makes a difference in their priorities. It makes a difference in their whole life. 
James tells us, and this is just a word that we need to whop us on the side of the head, that a faith without works is dead. You're not saved by works, you're saved by faith. But faith brings forth works, and if it doesn't, it's dead. A dead person isn't, is no longer a person. A dead faith isn't really a faith. Oh, it looks like a faith. It just sits there, though. It's stiff. It's just rigor mortis is set in. Some people have spiritual rigor mortis. You know, it, just, it looks like faith, but it just doesn't do anything. It's dead. I want to review here. Do you want A or B? What, what was you, you, you want B. Now, you know, A was the, do you want me to tickle and massage your ears, or do you want B the truth? Okay. <laughs> do you want A, tickling, or B the truth? Okay, truth, good, all right, okay, I got to remind you of that. Because here's the real situation, I, and I'm just going to just say it like it is. I really believe that to a large extent, the church in America uh, is a church that's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of dead works, a lot of dead faith, uh, a church that has got a lot of theoretical belief, uh, but, but uh, not a lot of faith in the biblical sense. Um, you get a lot of people, a lot of people who... Who, uh, who will say, yes, I believe the Lord's coming again. I believe Jesus is coming again. He's going to set up his kingdom. I, yay! I like to even sing about that. You know, they're, they're the ones who will be there like with Noah. And, and they'll be, uh, Noah, you're doing a good job. But you see, they'll never pick up a piece of wood. They'll never cut down a tree. They'll never nail a nail. They like to, th these are the kind of Christians who like to, they like to come and set up a lawn chair. You know, hey kids, let's go watch Noah. In fact, we'll do it every Sunday morning. Let's watch him build his ark. Look at him build that ark, you know, and, and, and they, they, in fact, they feel like they're doing a sacrifice for the Lord by being there to watch Noah build the ark. There he is. And they believe it all. Yes, we believe. Noah, we, we, we believe this. But Noah's doing the building. They're sitting there watching. They like to watch building the ark. They like to maybe make comments about it. They'll even sing a song about it once in a while. They'll applaud Noah's good effort. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Um, uh, they'll even applaud. Say, Noah, that was a good, I like the way you nailed that, that hammer. And they're also very quick to criticize. Noah, you ought to... You know, you really would be better if you did that. And Noah, you know, can't you speed it up a little bit? Noah, can't you do something about this hot sun? We come all the way out here to watch you, and you don't even put up a tent for us. I mean, it's getting hot out here. All those sacrifices we must make for Yahweh. You know, there it is. They'll, they'll even theorize. They like to talk about, hey, let's have a study on the dimensions of the ark. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do that, and let's theorize. And they really like to get into a lot of arguments about when the flood's going to occur and how the flood's going to occur and whether it's going to happen, what order the flood's going to occur in. They're like, all that kind of stuff. But friends, when it comes to actually picking up a piece of wood and nailing a nail and putting it together and giving Noah a hand, they're long gone. You see? Thank you. That's where it is. The difference between faith and theoretical belief. I believe God is calling us. You see, the, the bottom line is this. We are called... God, the Lord doesn't say, hey, um, I'll save you, and then wait around, just kind of bide your time, hang out uh, until I get back, all right? No, uh, the, the, Lord, the Lord gives us uh, a task to do. And it's a task that is uh, laying the foundation for the new thing that God's going to do when he comes back. We're laying the foundation for that. Right now, we're building the ark. And uh, this is, this is going to be the remnant, the one thing that's going to survive the fire. It's the one thing that's going to survive the judgment of God. It's called, it's called the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. It's called the body of Jesus Christ. It's called the collective whole of all who have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And the purpose for those who are aligned with Jesus Christ is not simply to wait. If that was, you know, God could have very easily said, Noah, listen, I'm going to use you. Just sit around. For, can, you, can you hang on for another hundred years? I'll build an ark for you, and, and, and then you just get into it. 
But see, the Lord doesn't do that. So what the Lord does is he puts some things in our court because it's good for our faith. Your faith will not grow until you begin to exercise it, until you begin to evidence it, until it begins to show forth in some of the way and making a difference in your life and how you spend your time and how you spend your money and how you think about things and the decisions that you make. That's how your faith grows. And Noah, God does not want Noah to be some kind of a puppet that he does everything for. He wants to inspire Noah to begin to participate with him in this new creation. And so it is with us believers God calls us to do a task. And the task is to build the church, praise God. It's his spirit that ultimately does it. It's Jesus Christ that's the foundation for the whole thing. But we have a role to play in it. We've got trees to cut down. We've got lumber to haul. We've got nails to nails. The measure of your faith, the measure of your faith is, like Noah, your willingness to sacrifice being a part, being a part of building this ark. But it ain't easy. I don't think living the Christian life is ever the easy road. Think about Noah. What was it like for him to do this? In a culture where they've never seen rain before, in the middle of nowhere, he starts building a humongous barge. This barge was about the size of that Kmart building, only four stories high. That's why it took 120 years, I suspect. Here he is building this whole thing. And think of the pressure on him, the scoffing, the mocking. People had never seen this before. He is swimming upstream. He's going against the current. He's not going along with the crowd. The temptation would be to, to just stop this and, and start to question the call and, you know, and just say, you know what, um, you know, God can build his own ark, my goodness, he's omnipotent, and, 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 and he can build his own ark, and it's a lot easier for him than for me. So I'm just going to hang around. And people would be saying to him, Noah, you know, man, if you're really into building so much, why don't you just build yourself a major mansion? You can have, with all the time and all the energy and all the money you're putting in that stupid ark, for something that's never going to happen, you could build a humongous house. You could be rich. You could be famous. This could be great. We could all move into it. Why don't you do that, Noah? That'd be a big temptation. But Noah had faith, and faith keeps the reality of what God's about. Even though you can't see it clearly, uh, uh, you don't know the details. Noah didn't know the details, and we don't know the details as much as we like to argue about the details. But the reality is that Noah had faith. He kept it before them, and that moved him to go in a different direction. As it was in the days of Noah, so is it with the coming of the Son of Man. Right now, as in the days of Noah, don't things look pretty stable? Turkey aside, don't things look kind of stable? The economy's good. Life is good. Things are going on just swell. You're getting the promotions that you want. Some of you are getting the education that you want. Some of you are raising the families that you want. And the temptation is to buy into the thinking of the culture, the natural mind, to say, you know what, let's just go the easy street as things always have been, so they, really, they always shall be. Theoretically, we know that that's not true, but the way we live is that it shall always be this way. That's the temptation. The saints of God, I want to tell you, it's a temptation that we must resist. I believe, and now I'm really shooting straight, that, that uh, this thinking, the natural mind thinking, the materialistic American thinking, uh, is epidemic, epidemic in the, in the Church of America. I, I believe that. We're just so used to it, we don't always see it. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, how much lumber is being hauled? How many, how, how, how many nails are being nailed in? Is the ark being built? And how many people are participating in it? A couple of statistics. Do you know that the average Christian spends at least five, uh, watches TV five times more than they spend doing anything that would be connected with, with church, with prayer, volunteering, witnessing, or anything like that? Five times more television. The average American, I don't know about you, but, but that's the average American. Down the road, those average Americans. Uh, the average American spends more on going to movies each week than they do investing in the ark. The average American Christian spends more 
on fast foods per week than they spend investing in the ark. The average American spends more on recreation than they spend investing in the ark. The average American Christian spends more on clothing than they spend investing in the, in the ark. The average Christian spends more, a lot more on cars than they spend investing in the ark. And the average American Christian spends tons more on housing than they spend investing in the ark. And if you think I'm talking about money, you're misunderstanding the point. I'm talking about values. I'm talking about a faith perspective, praise God, the kind of perspective God wants us to have. You see, a faith perspective is one that understands that this life is temporary. This isn't the real show. That don't get too settled here and now. It's coming to an end. And that affects the way you live, the way you think, the way you feel about things, the direction you're going, what you do with your time, what you do with your resources, what you do with your talent. It affects everything. As it did with Noah, so it must affect us. I think it's a sign of the times. And I, 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 I answer to God, so I just got to say it straight. A sign of the times across America, and yes, here in St. Paul as well. Of how thoroughly polluted and saturated and watered down the gospel has gotten by the thinking of the world, the presuppositions of the world, the mindset of the world, this me generation, self generation, American ideal generation, striving after things instead of striving after Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this. Um, how do you invest in the kingdom? How do you build this ark? It's like this. Everything you do in life, the thing is, you, 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 you can build an ark all the time because we're supposed to be kingdom people all the time. You build an ark, you invest in the ark whenever you, be, whenever you pray. You're walking around the state fair praying, you're, 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 you're hauling wood there, folks. You're cutting down trees, you're nailing nails. Uh, that, that's building the ark. Um, whenever you pray for your neighbors, like a lighthouse of prayer, you're investing in the ark. That's ark investment. Um, whenever you pray for your family, uh, you know, when, when you're, you're investing in the ark. Whenever, you're, whenever you volunteer for Saturday night setup, whenever you volunteer to hand out water and, and, and talk to people like some people did last night at the state fair, you're, you, this is ark investment. You're, you're hauling wood. You're nailing nails. You're cutting down trees. This is the kind of thing that the church is supposed to be about. Whenever you're involved in ministries, either directly or supporting ministries, you're building the ark. You, know, you find your gift, you start doing your gift. Whenever you're, you are a witness for Jesus Christ on your workplace or in your neighborhood or wherever you are, you're investing in the ark. That's ark investment, praise God. Whenever, whenever you see your jobs as being primarily about getting resources to do kingdom ministry, you're investing in the ark. You're investing in the ark. You're investing in the building. You're getting off of the lounge chair and you're starting to do something. And, and Christians around the room, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This isn't about a religion that helps us just get by from one week to the other. We've got a task to do. We've got a job to do. We're called. This is why God doesn't just, you know, rapture us the minute we become believers. Why are we here? What are we hanging on for? Uh, it, it's not just about surviving. Thank God that he helps us to survive. But it's about building the ark. Because the reality is that there's coming a time. It's good news for every believer. It's not so good news for the non-believer. Change that this morning. The good news is that he's coming back. And I believe he's coming back soon. I think all the evidence indicates that this, this show can go on as it is too much longer. But I don't know the details. No one does. Even the angels don't know. So I'm not going to try to outsmart the angels. But I do know what's going to happen. Amen. He's coming back. Amen. He's going to set up his kingdom. Amen. I want to be a part of that. Don't you? I want to be an ark builder. I want to be an ark builder. I want to be hauling wood. I want to be nailing nails. Praise God. This morning... This morning, non-believer, I want to talk to you for a second here. You're, you're in trouble, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. It, this is not a good situation. You don't need to leave here uh, in that situation. Uh, when we dismiss, in fact, would the prayer team come forward here? 
I, I, I want you to, to, to uh, before you leave, come up here and talk to them about what it means to become a Christian. It's so simple, and it makes an eternal difference. Uh, uh, this, this is your ticket to the ark, if I can apply that analogy. Uh, don't leave, you can leave here fully confident. You're not afraid of death, and you're not afraid of fire, praise God. Uh, in, in the body of Christ, there are no paraphobics. Would that be fear of fire? Paraphobia? Para, firephobics. Uh, and you don't have to be a reaperphobic. You can go out of here confident, praise God. And it's about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And for a believer, I just challenge you with this. Are you sitting on a lawn chair, or are you building the ark? Uh, you know, we, eat, we all, all without exception, have a role to play. Uh, there's nails to pick up, there's trees to cut down, there's wood to haul. You have a role to play. I don't know what it is. You need to find it. You need to find it. If there are things about Woodland Hills Church that keep you from doing that, then, then, then literally, for, for, for God's sake, uh, and for your sake, go to a different church where you can do that. You know, uh, if you're not part of this vision, get it in a, into a church where you are part of their vision. But because but, we're all part of the one team. But you've got to step up. Find your niche. Start doing it. If you're a student, there's kingdom work to do. Um, uh, if you're a plumber, there's kingdom work to do. All of us have some kingdom work to do. If you need help on finding that, call Jody Formula. She's our volunteer coordinator. Well, read the bulletin. There's a billion pieces of wood to pick up and nails to be nailed and things to be put together. Let's stand. And I want to lead us in a short prayer commitment. I pray, I pray you can pray this prayer on the inside. And if you want to come forward as I'm praying, if you want to just get out of there and come forward to accept Christ as your Savior, feel free to do so. But can we join our hands here for one minute? Just one minute. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Because you see, we're not lone rangers in building this. You can't have a very good construction team if everyone's doing their own thing. We're in this together. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I want us to pray a prayer of commitment together here. Let me lead us, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your mercy, which has allowed us to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, which has freed us from the fear of judgment. We know you as a loving, passionate father and friend and lover, not, not, not as our, our uh, judge on, on a judge court. But Lord, there are people here this morning that don't know you in other, any other way than judge. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you'd confront them and draw them forward to accept you as Lord and Savior. Father, we also pray for those of us who are believers, Lord, that, that you would, Lord God, move in our hearts to make us more committed, Lord God, to help us, Lord God, move out to resist the stronghold and the principality and the power that is here in St. Paul and Minneapolis that keeps us in a state of mediocrity and apathy and lethargy and religiosity. Lord, we don't want religion. Lord God, we want reality, and the reality is that the ark needs to be built. Lord, we pray that you'd help me and help, and help each one of us find the role we're to play in this church, the role we're to play in our ministry and the church at large. Lord God, move us out off, off of the lounge chairs, Lord God. For every one of us, Lord God, move us. Convict us, Lord God. Change us. Transform us. That your ark may be built. And Father, install in us a joy and anticipation that looks for and hastens the coming of your Son here and now, Lord God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Set up your kingdom, Lord Jesus. Establish your love, Lord Jesus. Lord God, and use us in any way possible towards that end. We pray in Jesus' name. And the army of God said, Amen. Amen. Go forth. Let's build the ark.